Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, Jesus 911. Heard most powerful radio. Two man car, Ruben and Jesse. Um, we won't see Jesse on screen, but he is here with us today. Good morning, Jesse. I'm 10 8, Ruben. I'm reporting for duty and uh, good to be here. Awesome. Awesome. I think we have some feedback, uh, Mr. Engineer, or some. We got some sound going on. Yeah, not mine. Okay. My, my phone's off. Okay. But, Ruben, what, so what are we going to talk about today? Okay. We're going to talk about this uh, a tremendous story uh, a miraculous mass card recently uh, saved uh, an officer who had been shot in the head. It's, it's, it's an amazing story. And um, it's, it, this is a police chaplain that worked for years with the, uh, the police department over in, uh, in Philadelphia. And the, his name is, he's an oblate father, Stephen Wetzel. And he, after his death, he, uh, he died uh, not too long ago. And at, at his mass, funeral cards were given out, mass cards. And um, during a, during the recent Fourth of July fireworks, a gunfight took place on Benjamin Franklin Parkway in Philadelphia, and bullets hit two law enforcement agents. But thankfully, they didn't uh, sustain any serious injuries. Hmm. This was in part due to the mass card that one of the officers, a 36-year-old veteran from uh, Philadelphia, had placed in his hat. Wow. The the police commissioner Danielle. Outlaw shared in a news conference that it was nothing short of miraculous that the police officer survived the shooting. Uh, you know, and in fact, the, the officer had taped inside Jesse hit the hat, the funeral mass card uh, of the beloved police chaplain and uh, who died just a few weeks before the incident at age 64 after a brief illness. And when the bullet pierced Outlaw's hat, it literally stopped before doing any further damage. Wow. And there's a picture in the article showing, uh, you know, some blood on the mass card, but the, 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 the round was actually. How did the mass card stop it? Did it have, did it have some type of like a metal, a miraculous metal or something on it that would have stopped the bullet? No. I mean, a piece of paper is not going to stop. No. It? Well, it, it was probably in intercession of the, uh, the, 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 the father because fa father Wetzel, he, he, you know, he, he um, w w before he passed away, he had started, a. uh, the St. Michael, the Archangel ministry at the, mm. at the fraternal order of police. Um, and he, he offered pastoral care, crisis ministry, spiritual enrichment opportunities to 14,000 police officers, both active and retired and their families, according to Catholic Philly.com. And, um, so it's interesting that what these officers typically do, the hat, you know, is worn anytime they're, they're out there on patrol and it's not an emergent situation. They have their hats on. Obviously, when it's an emergent, you know, it's it's just kind of goes out the window. Hats off. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, and traditionally, the police officers carry their loved ones, a picture of their loved ones in their hat, you know. So when they get in danger, their their closest ones are, are right there with them, you know, in a, in a sense. And um, so this this particular officer started wearing the his 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 chaplain's uh, his mask card there and the round uh, just just pierced the, the the cap but didn't do damage to his to his uh, you know his cranium Ruben that's even a bigger miracle because I was thinking 
I was thinking, okay, there's some there's some type of a metal on the card, and the bullet hit the metal and it stopped it. Like maybe it's a miraculous metal embedded or Saint Benedict's metal embedded. But this is even a greater miracle. This this is the hand of God because if it's just a piece of paper, we all know that a piece of paper can't stop a bullet mm-hmm. unless uh, by divine providence. And that's obviously what happened here. So th- this is a bi- a bigger miracle than I even thought because again I was thinking okay am I missing something? There's got to be a, a a miraculous medal or some type of uh, you know Saint Michael the Archangel medal there that stopped the bullet you know dead in its tracks but n- that's not the case. Yeah, uh, it doesn't appear to be the case. And Sheesh. and because wow. of this, the uh, the Philadelphia police will print ten thousand more mask cards and have them laminated and distributed to officers to for them to feel Father Wetzel's presence and protection when. It's needed most. And this is a beloved chaplain. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, there's a, a big need for chaplains in, in law enforcement <clears throat> because of what the guys go through out there. And they just need to bounce something off of some, you know, get some spiritual advice and just. Yeah. <clears throat> a person of faith, you know. <clears throat> yeah. Oftentimes there's all, all kinds of pressure and stuff, you know, amongst your peers that are very secular and very worldly. And it's just good. For example, uh, Ruben, you and me have a good friend that's a chaplain. Uh, Fred Cross for the LA Sheriff's Department. Right, he's a layperson, but nonetheless, I mean, uh, he he's there for just to lend an ear, give you some good advice, give you some good sound biblical advice, give you some spiritual direction. There's a lot even a lay chaplain can do yeah. uh, for cops or for firemen. Doesn't I mean obviously in in in, in a perfect world you like you like an uh, an ordained Catholic priest, but uh, yeah, there's even there's even a need and there's even uh, a that's that serves a big need in law enforcement and the fire department, even to have just a lay chaplain. Yeah, because you see some, you come across some pretty gruesome scenes, and especially when children are involved, and and you know when you go through there and you and you you have children of your own, it just it's sometimes really hard to to, to know to not get uh, emotional and, and you know, and so sometimes these chaplains they can uh, they can help us through some of these difficult times, and I've also seen them. Uh, help out when the family needs it support for losing a loved one. And, uh, I know that, um, uh, a friend of the family's had, uh, her husband had committed suicide and, and when we got there, um, there was a chaplain there already with the police officers and he was, he was ministering as best he could to, to our friend, the, the, the decedent's wife. Um, you know, ch- ch- chaplains are, are, they're there particularly for the the law the officers, but uh, they do can they they can help the uh, the the community as well if if need be. So it's much needed, you know. Jesse, these the thing is, um, Christian, you know, brothers and sisters. Sometimes um, when they're experiencing greater persecution in, in places around the world, you know, like um, I like what Saint Paul says because we, we think back and um, Saint Paul. For encouragement, you know, you, you, I like to turn to uh, the passage, Philippians uh, 4, 4 through 8. And mm. St. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. 
The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And, you know, he, Paul was was experiencing a lot of challenges in his day, you know, um, much like we are t- today. But I, I would see even more the, the trials that he faced because they kind of, our trials kind of pale in comparison to what he was going through with the early Christian persecution. And imagine if you... Uh, you're just trying to raise a family, and and your uh, your family's being targeted, and and it's it was just a, a crime to be a Christian uh, back in the day, so that's why you know I, I throw it out to especially our first responders to that verse is always really powerful, because you have to be able to see the good in things, and and um and just remember rejoice because our hope is in Christ, and uh, that's where Amen yeah yeah that's where we need to be that's where we know that we're just passing through this life and we're gonna face danger we're going to face rejection we're going to face condemnation um but we have to find a way to rejoice and and celebrate that's right hardships reuben law enforcement is a is a god-ordained profession Mm -hmm. it it is uh it's a calling it's a calling it's not for everybody right matthew chapter 5 verse 9 you know police officers constables deputy sheriffs marshals they're all they all fall under the umbrella of peace officer they're all under that big umbrella. They're all called peace officers, and they all got subdivisions, police, sheriff, marshal, etc. Mm. But the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. That's exactly what cops do day in and day out. It's just their presence brings a semblance of peace into society. Sometimes a cop does have to use force, though. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, God-ordained. This is sanctioned by God. In Romans chapter 13, verse 4, Paul talks about the authority of the government. He says, for he, and, and he's talking about the soldier who uh, back in the first century who also uh, doubled as a policeman. They were the, they were the city policemen, and they were also the, the, uh, the soldiers uh, to protect the country. Mm. Romans 13, 4 says, for he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So again, sometimes God's soldier or God's policeman has to use force uh, to affect, uh, you know, arresting a bad guy and just uh, taking them out of circulation. But yeah. uh, you know, and we we also see Reuben that God, the Lord loved people in uniform. He really did. Uh, in in Luke chapter seven, there's a story where. A centurion comes and asks Jesus Christ to heal a slave because a slave's at the point of death. Right. And and Jesus sees his faith. They have a conversation. And in verse 9 of Luke 7, it says, When Jesus heard this from the centurion, he marveled at him and turned and said to the multitude that followed him, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. A centurion, he was in charge of a hundred soldiers. And this guy had faith in Christ. Jesus was so impressed with his faith, this man in uniform, he said, I haven't seen greater faith in all of Israel than this man in uniform. Mm. Good stuff. All right, coming up on our first break, Jesus 911. We'll be back on the other side of the break. And we'll be talking about an article from Father Z. It's a really good uh, analysis of the scriptures. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus, 911, Virgin Most Powerful. I'm here with Jesse Romero. We are a two-man car, and we're 10-8. So we're switching gears and going to be talking about uh, an article from Father John Zulsdorf, known as Father Z, and uh, he's a convert from uh, Lutheranism. And um, By the way, Ruben, he's been canceled as well. Uh, he's yeah. a canceled priest. Yep, I can imagine. I, th- uh, I believe, I think, uh, his, uh, his <clears throat> crime is uh, he was speaking about Making political statements during the homily, I think questioning the questioning the elections, just like I do, um, and uh, yeah. So he's been he's been canceled as well. He's he's a very holy priest, and he's now gone the way of what Father Heilman, Father Altman, many others. Uh, yeah, Ruben, something is there's a, there's a purge happening in our country. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I want to say it's probably a Masonic purge. Because it's very interesting that the priests that are being canceled are those priests that have this uh, this love for the Latin Mass and that are celebrating the Latin Mass. That's true. Yeah, I find that yeah. I don't think that's a coincidence. None, none whatsoever. Yeah, and those are the, these are the priests we, precisely that we need at this time. You know, so you you, you know you have to think that some of these priests are uh, they're going to have to go underground and and you know. Uh, be saying masses for people because I agree. That's the yeah. ministry, you know. They're valid priests, and uh, and so, you know, it's it's. You you've known a few in your day, huh? <laughs> yeah, I have. I have. So, yeah, it was happening yeah. before all this. It, it, who you know, it it wasn't even happening. Ruby, yeah, Ruben, you've known canceled priests before this started happening. This phenomena under Pope Francis, right? I mean, right. I mean, you you've been dealing with some of these priests for thirty years, right? Yeah, a very holy yeah, good, priest, man. Um, yeah, good holy man. Yeah, so I could tell you stories, man, of things that that happened with uh, my priest and uh, things you only read about in the lives of the saints. Wow. Uh, and one day we'll talk about that, but absolutely. So, Ruben, this article by Father Z: God makes great things happen with small things. He says, as I write, it's the anniversary of the imposition of. Traditionis Custodis, certainly the legacy document of the Francis Pontificate. While it seems ultimately destined for dusty irrelevance, it is now a neurologic sign of the times. Almost by way of a celebration of Traditionis Custodis, bad news comes from Chicago for the faithful who attend the Institute of Christ the King, a Latin Mass order of priests. Yeah and also the Diocese of Savannah, upon whom Rome has issued a terminal date for traditional Latin Mass. These are bad signs, clearly because they know how little regard those in power have for the faithful. Let me make a comment here. In the Bible, well, we call this in theology, this is called clericalism, Ruben. Mm-hmm. When a priest or a bishop is just bullying lay people because he can, for no apparent reason. It's called clericalism. In the New Testament... Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ calls this, and St. Paul calls this, lording over people. This is this is wicked. This is what King Herod did. This is what Caiaphas did. This is what Pontius Pilate did. Lording over people. And we see that happening right now, Ruben, mm-hmm. in our church, starting from the, from the highest office. It says here, Father Z writes, And I mean faithful, 
these are the people who actually go to church week in and week out, teach their children to believe that the church, what the church teaches, and strive to live as Catholics in a fallen world. On the other hand, as Tertullian remarks, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. These good people are not experiencing bloody martyrdom at this point, but their experience at the hands of those who ought to be embracing them is a kind of white martyrdom. Mm-hmm. If a stranger hurts you, you hurt. If someone, if someone to whose care you have been entrusted hurts you, you hurt more. Yeah. That said, when crossing the threshold of a church for Sunday Mass, we enter the Domus Dei at the Porta Celi. That's the house of God by the gate of heaven. We can bring our cares with us to place, to place upon the altar for the raising and transformation. We can bring those who harm us or betray us and entrust them to the merciful healing ministration of God. All I can say is, Reuben, that's very difficult. I mean, I, I try to go to Mass every day, and I'm pretty good about it. But uh, it's hard. To, I mean, you know, it's easier said than done. It's harder to pray. It's hard to pray for your enemies or it's hard to pray for those who are persecuting you. That's it's right. possible, yeah. like Father Z says, but I'm just saying it's, it's, not, it's not easy. That's right. And it, yeah, and like he said, it hurts more when it's coming from people who you, uh, you put your trust in. And so in the gospel reading for Sunday, um, Father Z says, we hear of the, the miraculous feeding of the 4,000 in the wilderness. And the miraculous feeding of the 4,000 is only in Mark and Matthew. They are in the region of 10 cities or Decapolis outside the promised land in Gentile territory. Christ miraculously multiplies seven loaves and two fish and thereby feeds 4,000 men, not counting women and children. There are seven baskets left uh, leftovers. There is a parallel miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 by the Sea of Galilee in Jewish territory at modern-day Tag- Tagha. And uh, the numbers and the places are important, as is demonstrated by the fact that the Lord asked the apostles if they understood what he had done. And I think, you know, Jesse, I think this verse is, is kind of over, you know, uh, people glossed over it. I know. I. Oh, yeah. No, he breaks it down. He does a great job of, of doing what's called exegesis. I'm, I, I really enjoyed reading his exegesis on this. Yeah. Um, so Jesus asked them, hey, uh, if they understood what he had done. And. So it says in the scripture, Mark 8, 19 through 21, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? So he breaks it down, says the 5,000 were Jews by the Sea of Galilee and the 4,000 were in Gentile territory. In this twofold miraculous feeding of multitudes in barren places, the Lord revealed himself as the new Moses, feeding the people with the new manna in the wilderness during the Exodus. He is the new Moses just for the Jews, but I think he, I think he left out the word not. He is the new Moses, not just for the Jews, but the whole world, hmm. the Gentiles as yeah, well. Yeah, you're right. He did leave it out. And uh, the seven baskets represent the seven Gentile nations descended from Canaan, son of Ham, son of Noah, and once occupied the land of Canaan, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Gerhazites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jezebites, and the Parasites. And uh, 12 baskets of the apostles, the, the tribe, in the, the, the 12 tribes of uh, Israel, the, and the 12 apostles in the Jewish territory. So seven baskets mark the Gentile nations outside Jewish territory. All peoples will be gathered in Christ. I knew about the 12 metaphor. I, I've known that, but 
I didn't know about the seven. That's new to me about the seven Gentile nations that come from, you know, from yeah. the time of Noah. That that was interesting. Uh, just learned something right there. He, Father Z writes, all will be miraculously fed with superabundant food through the hands of the apostles when, once Christ ascends and the Great Commission begins, which, which it already began 2,000 years ago, the Great Commission. So now we got the supernatural feeding of the entire world, potentially, uh, in, in the Holy Eucharist. Mm-hmm. You might recall that in between these two instances of miraculous multiplication of food, there's an incidence or an incident with the so-called Syrophoenician woman related in Mark chapter 7 and Matthew 15. She's a Gentile woman, a Canaanite, who begged the healing who begged the healing of her daughter. At first the Lord ignored her plea, saying, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. She replied, Yet even the dogs that, that's a reference to the Gentiles because they were called dogs by the Jews back in the first century. She says, Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, Mark seven twenty eight. Christ relented and healed the woman's daughter. An explanation of the Lord's reluctance come from the idea that, first and foremost, he was sent to be among the Jews to call them to himself. It would fall to the apostles to go among the Gentiles to bring the good news and to heal. As the Ignatius Catholic Bible study puts it, quote, Israel's leftover bread will be given to the Gentiles. Yeah. But, but now the beautiful thing that St. Paul talks about is that there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor male nor female, nor Jew or Gentile. We're all, we're all one in Christ. One of the things that Jesus Christ came to do, though the Jews were the chosen people of God, Israel was a chosen nation of God without a doubt, mm-hmm. and Christ came to them first to reveal to himself, to his people as a Messiah, and then to bring in the Gentiles now under the church. The Catholic Church is the new Israel of God. Right. It's, it's, it's Israel transformed, and Israel transformed goes beyond uh, just uh, the borders of the small little country called the Holy Land or Israel. Now the, the new Israel, or Israel transformed, brings in Jews and Gentiles into one international family under the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so all of us now, you don't have to go through Jewish rituals to become part of the family of God. What brings you into the family God is the supernatural grace that Jesus Christ won first on Calvary through baptism. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well said, Jess. And uh, he goes on to say, In these miracles that the Lord performed using earthly things like mud and spittle, bread and fish, there's an elevation of the natural to the supernatural. It is therefore natural that we should look for supernatural meanings in his actions. For example, St. Thomas, in explaining Christ's encounter with the Syrophoenician woman, says that, that the five qualities she displays, humility, patience, prayerfulness, perseverance, and faith, are signposts to us. If we had had these five qualities, we should be delivered from every devil, that is, from all sin, which may grant uh, Christ grant us to be amen. So he's, he's he, so that yeah, you know the devil hates humility. I mean that's one of the the greatest gifts that uh, Our Lady mm-hmm. has, and yep, it, it you know because he had no you know the opposite of humility is pride, and that's what sent yeah, he's pure pride, and she's all humility, yeah. <laughs> complete opposite spectrum. You know he he's pure vice, and she's pure virtue. Right. But I like what Father Z said about uh, again the five qualities that the Lady displayed the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, you know, her daughter was possessed or her daughter, you know, she wanted her daughter to be healed. 
And uh, the five things that she that she uh, demonstrated were humility, patience, prayerfulness, perseverance, and faith. Uh, and I, I love what the way he just ends it. He said that St. Thomas says that these five qualities deliver us from every devil, that is, from all sin. Uh, you know, Ruben, that's one of the things that as Catholics, one of the things that separates us from from Protestants mm-hmm. is that, often, especially uh, low church Protestants, for them, everything is 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 healing. You're saved. Uh, you know, you're you're born again. Uh, you're, but they don't have a deep understanding. None of the Protestant denominations have a deep understanding. Again, like the Syrophoenician women of uh, of suffering, Mm-mm. they don't have an understanding of what's called redemptive suffering. I remember during the Twin Towers when they were taken down by nineteen terrorists. And you had, you know, all, all these news news stations calling in all these Protestant ministers. Billy Graham, you know, he was also yeah. alive back then. None of them, Reuben, they looked, they stared at the camera, and they said, we have no idea why evil occurs. Wow. Had they called a Catholic, it would have been very simple, you know. But uh, again, it's an enigma for Protestants suffering oftentimes. It's, it's just an enigma. We'll yep. be right back. We'll continue with Father Z's article. Uh, good stuff here. We'll be back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. We are back, Jesus 911. We're talking about a great article by Father Z. God makes great things happen with small means. And, um, you know, he, he's going to go into uh, into some modernism that you hear. He's going to explain what that's all about. Um, and, and in this situation here, I have, I've been present when a priest said, gave the same exact example from the, from the pulpit. And I was, you know, young in my faith and, and had that happened today, Jesse, I would have stood up and say, blasphemy, you know, <laughs> they'd have had to throw me out, Jesse. If I, <laughs> so, um, Ruben, I was told that Pope Francis, I, I, it was an article. I just dumped it. I didn't want to read it. That he also used the same uh, modernist uh, explanation homily mm-hmm. for the multiplication. I heard it's on the internet that you can. I, I it's just so painful for me. I just I, they send me the link and I just dumped it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I there was a credible source. The people that told me that it was. I think it was a, you know one of the big Catholic news uh, websites. Yeah, go ahead, just take it for me. Yeah, so. Father Z writes, and he's describing modernism here. He says, uh, this, sort of ele- this sort of elevating explanation is exactly the opposite of what modernists try to do. By the way, modernists, uh, this is the synthesis of all heresies, and this is what we're dealing with right now in the 20, 21st century. This is, the biggest, this is the biggest battle in the Catholic Church that we're fighting right now, and it's specifically modernism. Father Z writes, well, so what is modernism? Which is which is the reduce, or he? I think he meant to say, which is to reduce the supernatural to the natural. Mm-hmm. So that's a simple definition of modernism, which is to reduce the supernatural to the natural. In other words, all miracles have some human explanation; they really didn't happen. For example, in pulpits far and wide, when the gospel accounts of the miraculous feedings come up, priests and bishops will be heard to say. That the real miracle was that, inspired by Christ, 
People took out the food they were all secretly hoarding and shared it with each other. This flies in the face of the account in the gospel, but that's modernism for you. This canard was cobbled up some 150 years ago by a German rationalist who hired Hegel at the University of Heidelberg named Heinrich Paulus, who died in 1851. He explained away Christ's miracles by reducing them to natural events. By the way, Hegel was a Protestant. He wasn't a Catholic. Mm -hmm. His efforts were later taken up by German theologian and musicologist Albert Schweitzer. He was another Protestant, very, very well-known Protestant. He died in 1965. He should have stuck with Bach. Both these Protestants tried to explain away the text by mere natural means. This is the essence of modernism, reduction of the supernatural to the natural. A clue that you're in contact with modernism is liturgical dumbing down, be wary. Mm. And by the way, Ruben, these, these Protestant theologians that were liberals, lib- liberal modernists, you know, mm-hmm. back in the 60s and back in the 19th century, they've had an effect on Catholic, on Catholic biblical scholarship. Of course. And a lot of Catholic biblical scholars, they just they want to be respected by their Protestant colleagues, so they use the same lame arguments uh, because they want to be respected by the intelligentsia. Mm. Hey, Jesse, so Albert Schweitzer wrote a book called Quest for the Historical Jesus in 1906. And then later on, um, I was a student at UCLA in in, uh, in the mid-90s, 95, 96. And, and uh, I, I took a class, uh, a, a, a history class. It was the Jesus of History by a professor named Scott Barchi. I guess he's well-known. He's still teaching. He's like 85 years old. I looked him up. Um, boy, I bumped heads with him so much because he, he was, he it was the, uh, the, the Jesus quest and, and it was taking a lot of things from this, the Jesus seminar. I, yes. Are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm. It was a six year project based in Sonoma to assess the historical authenticity of the sayings attributed to Jesus. And they concluded about half of the words were put into his mouth by gospel authors and early believers in reflection of their own hopes and fears. The uh, provocative Jesus, Jesus seminar uh, concluded six years of voting on what the Jesus of history and most likely said, ruling out about 80% of the words attributed to him in the gospels and emerging with a picture of a prophet sage who told parables and made pithy statements and comments. And even the even the most famous gospel verse, John three sixteen, that, that that was left out. Virtually all of his words in the Gospel of John are left out. <laughs> and so um, he was just telling us to uh, just forget what you've learned in the past. You know, we're just going to separate the Jesus from uh, faith from the Jesus of history. You, you can't do that, Jesse. It, it's all it's all one. Um, Jesus is not you. Can, he's he's not two persons. You know, he's he, he he's not uh, exactly. Yeah. So I, yeah, yeah, he's I, one person with two natures, but he's not two persons. Yeah, and so I, I bumped heads with him, and he said, uh, I, I remember one comment he made in the class is like, you know, um, when he was talking about the Catholics and and uh, and Pope Pius XII during the Holocaust, he goes, and my Catholic friends are still doing penance for the sins of their church, and I said, oh no, you know, something was wrong there, and and so I met him, and uh, I got some. Uh, I got some instruction from uh, from a priest that I just finished. We just finished mentioning he, and he was a convert from Judaism. So I said, "Father, t- give me some information here." Then, so I I went back to his office hours and I just hammered him. I just hammered him on <laughs> what Jesus, you know, what what Pope Pius the Twelve had done, you know, and and just 
he was just sitting there with his mouth was dropped open because he never heard this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's... Yeah, I, wrote, I wrote a paper in college. Yeah. 20 some odd years ago mm-hmm. on, on defending uh, Pope Pius XII. I, I, I share it with people all the time. I, 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 went, I did a deep dive and I quote a lot of Jewish sources. I mean, uh, when people start saying, oh, Pope Pius XII was, a, you know, in collusion with the Germans. I say, really? Well, look at what Rabbi Lapid says. Look at what uh, Albert Einstein says. I mean, I'm quoting one Jewish uh, academic after another. Rabbi Zoli. And, you know who Rabbi Zoli. Mm-hmm. And these people had the highest respect for Pope Pius XII for his dedication to uh, safeguarding the Jews and even hiding them in Catholic properties and parishes and basements and nunneries and monasteries. Yeah, it's it's the biggest it's the biggest crock, Ruben, the biggest propaganda that Pope Pius XII was a friend of Hitler. Yeah. Pope Pius XII was the greatest friend the Jews have ever had. Right. And it's only it's it's a shame that he's not Saint Pius XII right now. And and you know, when Israel became a nation in nineteen forty eight, they honored him with the highest honor given to any Gentile. Uh they planted all uh, you know, hundreds of trees in his in his name. And uh why would why would they do that if he had uh you know, was persecuting them. That's just ridiculous. All right. Yeah, they, they, the Jews, there's a part in Israel, they, they planted 800 trees in, in memory of, or in, yeah, in honor of Pope Pius XII. And, and they, they, there's a sign, they, they call them there, they put a sign that says, uh, Pope Pius XII, the righteous Gentile. That's like the highest honor that a yeah. Jew can give. You call you a righteous Gentile. Why did they plant 800 trees? Because the Jews say, Every tree represents a thousand Jews that this Pope helped save and hide from the Nazis. So the Jews say that he saved single-handedly through his efforts about, through his pontificate, about 800,000 Jews. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And then when he took in the chief rabbi of, of, of Rome, Rabbi Zali, who has a, he put, wrote a book. I, I read his book, um, yeah, I did Dawn of a ago. New Day, I think is, yeah. The one, the one I read is called "Why I Became a Roman Catholic." Yeah, and it's 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 uh, he goes right into it. He says he already was a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ just from studying uh, the Old Testament, knowing Hebrew. Yeah, he was saying, "Yeah, now th- this this is the he Messiah here." Yeah. He just, yeah, he just didn't want to be very open about it. But what threw him over the edge was to see the the supernatural love that Pope Pius XII had for his people. At that point, he said, my intellect, everything I'd been, been studying about Jesus for years, and I believe he was a Messiah, just kept my mouth shut. He says, when I saw the supernatural love that came from the vicar of Christ, my intellect and my heart connected, and I had to become Catholic. Mm. It was like the shot heard around the world. The Catholic Church didn't, didn't stand up. Hey, look at, oh, we got one of yours. You know, it would be exactly. like equivalent to the Pope converting to Judaism. You know, yes, yes, yeah. He was a rabbi for forty-five years. He was a rabbi in, in uh, Rome, in Israel for five years, Zoili, and he was a rabbi in, in Rome for forty years. So this guy was no. He, he was one of the most respected uh, rabbis in the world at the time. Right. All right. Let's finish this up. So. Um, here's father z says here's something we can take away on the natural level god makes great things happen with small means we are his small means natural but with supernatural souls we can be conduits of graces as a matter of of sacraments work miraculous insensible things in us so we're not doing it on our own we're doing it because we have the graces from the sacraments Mm -hmm. 
The material things we have, life itself, is from God in the first place. By letting go and using even small means generously, great things can be multiplied, both spiritually and materially. And I like this line here. Entrepreneurs get that. They take risks and make gains, and they benefit many. Hmm. How much more should we be willing to do our little part for the sake of great gains? On that note, never underestimate the power of an invitation. We all know Catholics whose faith is dying or dead rather than conscious and active identity as Catholics. Is it, it, it's as best dormant. The, the virtue of faith is the last of the theological virtues to fade after charity and hope. Avoid bitterness or arguments with them. These days, it's very, sim- very hard to lead people through a line of thought. We live in an age where the, where the nonsensical, that might be true for some of you, makes sense to a lot of people. And uh, we see that just with that gender ideology. Yes, and, and right. Yeah. And instead, they show them a joy in your Catholic faith and be inviting. Even if people refuse, they are still pleased that you thought en- enough about them to invite them. Never underestimate the power of an invitation. Invite fallen away Catholics to Mass and other parish events. If every regular churchgoer would remember to invite someone every week to come with them, imagine what an effect that could have. Many will not accept, some will. But if many are doing the inviting, many will eventually come. Everyone benefits. Parishes grow. Souls are helped. You please God, who will crown your deeds with his own merits. Little miracle will multiply. Fathers, that means that you have to provide the very best for them to encounter when they step into that church for the first time in who knows how long. Mm. Examine your consciences on this point. Well taken, you know, it's uh, the power just of an invitation, you know, when people see that you care for their soul, uh, that goes a long way and people, you know, I'll share another story of somebody that I invited to the Catholic Church at the age of 80, he broke down crying and he said, wow, you're the first Catholic that's ever invited me to be Catholic. Oh, I'll wow. share it on the flip side. All right, yeah. good. Yeah. Now. Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesse and I are uh, we're laying out. Um, that was a good. That was a very good article uh, from Father Father Z. He broke down the, the scriptures very well. And anyway, and uh, he's just talking about the you know just being honest of what's happening with our our church and, and with modernism and and uh for us to to not give up and just you know keep inviting keep going to keep staying close to the sacraments and yes our job you know we're not going to change the, the the pope a governor the president uh you know uh, the city mayor but we can change ourselves by becoming by becoming personally the best version of ourselves becoming holy holy catholics uh that's that's what Jesus wants. Jesus, what, what he wants from Jess Romero is not for me to convert the whole world. He wants for me to become holy. A- after that, I mean, that's good to evangelize and share the faith and teach. That's good. But what he wants from us personally is for every one of us to become as holy as possible. That's primary. Mm-hmm. We, we, we can't be worrying about getting other people holy if we're not working on ourselves. Right. Let me just mention, Ruben, something about invitation. One of my brothers, uh, his uh, spouse died. He remarried. Uh, uh, he, he remarried in the Catholic Church. His uh, his father-in-law was Protestant, and his mother was a kind of a fallen-away Catholic. They'd come over the house. We got to know them very well. And he was 
pretty old. He was probably in his you know mid to late seventies. Uh, my brother's father-in-law. He was a Protestant, mm-hmm. and his, he's married. He's married to his wife for like 30, 40 years. She was a Catholic, but just you know, kind of a fallen away Catholic. Mm-hmm. And one day, you know, we're, we'd all be talking about the faith when he'd come over to the house, and I looked at him and I just I'll just call him Tom. And I said, Tom, by the way, I said I never. Are you Catholic? He's, and he looked at me and he, he got teary-eyed. He goes, no, because I've been married to my wife for 40 years. No, I'm, I'm not Catholic, but I've been to Mass and I, I participate in everything that you guys participate in. And I just looked at him. I said, I said you want to be Catholic? I said, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. I'll, I'll, I'll get a priest and, 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 and we'll give you instruction. And he looked at me <laughs> and the, uh, everybody's there. Mm-hmm. All my other brothers, in-laws, nephews, running around, grandkids. He started crying, Ruben. He broke down crying. You know what he said? Wow. And he's gonna be he was gonna be eighty. And he was and he had cancer, by the way. Oh. He said, You're the first Catholic that's ever asked me if I wanted to be Catholic. He, he was a Baptist. Mm-hmm. He says, I've been waiting for somebody to ask me for forty years. Wow. I helped them into the church, got them plugged in with a priest, and he got went through RCA very quickly. Received the sacramental grand slam and died shortly thereafter. Mm. Amazing, great story, Jess. Yes, my brother's uh, father-in-law. Rest in peace. Uh, he would have died without the sacraments, but I just looked at him and I said, "I wonder if this guy's Catholic. I'm going to ask him." And I asked him, and he got teary-eyed. He goes, "No, I'm not." I said, "You want to be Catholic?" I said, "I want you to be Catholic." And he goes, "You're the first person that's ever asked me in 40 years." And he just he just broke down crying. It was it was genuine. You know what I'm yeah. saying, Ruben? Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And that's what Father Z's talking about. That's what he's talking about, Ruben. There's just a lot of people out there. Forget about what's happening in Rome or the USCCB. Just make it personal. Get people to get people in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Get people in a state of sanctifying grace. God's going to take care of the corruption. Okay in Rome and the USCCB and at the downtown at the diocese, anywhere else. He's going to take care of that. Yeah. Okay. We're called to take care of each other. Okay. I'm not called to be the overseer of a bishop, a cardinal or a pope. That's not my job. I can make statements uh, when they say things that, again, don't comport with 2000 years of, 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 of magisterial teaching. I'm going to make a comment, but uh, I'm not called to, I'm not called to oversee them or, 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 to, or to, to teach them. I'm called Ruben to, to, Minister to God's little ones. That's what I'm calling. So are you. Yeah, 100%. Yes, Justin. <clears throat> you know, I think uh, sometimes we don't we don't invite or we don't ask because we're worried about what they're going to think or, or we don't want to um, impose on them, uh, you know, make them feel uncomfortable um, or just we're just afraid, you know. And, and then, um, yeah, as far as we have to become holy and because uh, – we're when people look at us, they're not they're not going to listen to what we say. They're going to watch what we do. And, yes, and if they see that you know hey, you're, you're walking the walk, then it's going to be attractive, and it's going to get people are, are going to want to hear and and see that hope that's within you. And see, what man, what does he have? And I want what he has. And you know that that's that's how you do it. You know you you don't have to do it by words. You just have to do it by by the way you carry yourself. You know. Ruben, that's why the martyrs in the early church had such an effect. For example, I've, I've read stories of St. Andrew that he was hung on a cross, uh, an, on an X-shaped cross in, in Greece, and that he hung for 48 hours, and they said that he preached the gospel for 48 hours. So there's all kinds of looky-loos, there's all kinds of bystanders, there's a lot of Roman soldiers that were guarding him, and I've read accounts 
that dozens and dozens and dozens of people that watched him, soldiers included, uh, were so convicted by the fact that this man that was pinned on a cross in an X shape and was talking about Jesus Christ being the way, the truth, and the life. There's no man, you know, there's no way to get but through Jesus. Many people uh, converted to the Catholic faith as a result of seeing St. Andrew being crucified. But that story could be replicated thousands of times because, uh, once again, uh, when they see the joy of even a martyr willing to die for Christ, they're saying, there's something, there is something supernatural to this whole story. It's beyond a myth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> hey, Ruben, talk about the Indiana driver that saved a life. Yeah, the uh, this guy named Nick Bostic. He was a uh, he was driving and he saw some flames coming from an Indiana home. It was on fire in the middle of the night. He uh, he pulled over. He ran inside, and uh, he helped uh, bring people to safety and. He was just a local pizza delivery guy, you know, and he drove past this house, saw the flames blazing, and, and he he didn't know or who owned it or who lived in there, but he sprang into action. He bought uh, his Bostic. He, he went around the, the back to the two-story house, and he opened the back door, and uh, he says he was there before he entered. He says, I was halfway into the door. I started hollering if there's anybody in there. He told uh, the news, America's Newsroom, um, and then he started to think that the house was empty until four people heard him and ran to him. He led them from outside, wow. led them outside and asked if anyone was left. And they said, there's a six year old left in there. So he says he went back in and he, uh, and he, he found the little girl and, um, he recounted running upstairs and searching through the bedrooms multiple times, but he didn't find anyone. When he tried to get back down, the smoke had reached the staircase. It, it scared me a lot. He said, but then I started hearing Kailani's cry and he ran downstairs into the smoke and found her, carried her snug fit in my arms up the stairs. Apparently, the fire was blazing downstairs, so he had to exit through the upstairs bedroom window. And she, she didn't want to go through the window, but there was really no choice. And he brought her to safety. And, you know, this is an amazing story. This was in, uh, this was in Lafayette, uh, Indiana. And so... You know, first responders, we train for emergencies. And when you hear about them saving lives, it's great. And, but some would say it's just par for the course. But when you, you hear about an untrained civilian who wow. does something like this, it's a huge story. You know, the fact that he he was a complete stranger. He risked his life, his safety, and and uh, he went in there. And, and that's a really a noteworthy story. It's like the Good Samaritan, Jesse. You know, we yes. remember the Good Samaritan, the... You know, you had yeah, he, yeah. He had nothing to gain from doing this, Ruben, other than getting killed. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, there's no gain. He's not getting paid for this. He's not going to get some type of reward. This is this is what they call altruism. When you do something just for the sake of 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 it's the right thing to do, and you do it for goodness' sake. Uh, he, he probably didn't even know he was going to be on Fox News and and get you know national yeah. air coverage and. And get splashed all over the media in a positive way. He didn't know that. Yeah. And that's not the reason he, he didn't say, I'm going to go in there and save a couple of people that are going to die from fire if I don't go in there because I want to get on Fox News with uh, Dana Perino. No, it's, that's, again, uh, that's that's something that, uh, that, that's something, by the way, that the Catholic Church, they put, they, the church places a high premium on that. Mm. When the church looks at the at the life of a person that's been going through canonization, what the church looks for is called heroic virtue. That that's the that's a criteria to become a saint. The church will say 
Is there evidence in this person's life because of their faith in Christ that they demonstrated heroic virtue? That's the, that's the standard to become canonized. Did the person demonstrate heroic virtue? I can just tell you this right now. I'm not, I'm not canonizing this young man, Nick Bostic. You know, who, I don't know anything about him. But I can tell you this, that, that in this instance, he did have heroic virtue and uh, God was smiling down upon him. Whether he's Catholic or not, by the way, the church teaches that everybody gets a guardian angel at the moment of conception. So if this guy, Nick Bostic, is not Catholic, it doesn't matter. Uh, have no doubt that his guardian angel was working overtime as he was doing this heroic deed. Yeah. You know, and, and in the Good Samaritan parable, yeah, you had a Jewish priest and you have a Levite that go by this, this injured man who was beaten, left uh, stripped of his clothing, left half dead, and then a Samaritan who was no friends of the Jews comes by and um, and takes care of him. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says, who is my neighbor, you know? And that's that's the neighbor is, is the figure in the parable. It's the one who shows mercy to the injured, uh, you know, fellow man that is the Samaritan. So we, sh- we should be the, that good Samaritan when we come across things like this and, um, you know, do what we can because ultimately, you know, every child is, is the child of God and, and they have ver- they have value in in God's eyes, and so. Uh, do Ruben, I'll tell you again. What, what, what this guy got my respect is, as I read the article, it says that the house was engulfed in flames. Engulfed. I mean, mm-hmm. most people that are not firemen and that are not equipped to do this, we see a, call, uh, a house engulfed with flames. Most of us are just going to pick up our cell phone and call nine one one. That's what the average person is going to do. This guy went above and beyond the call of duty. Mm-hmm. That's that's a that's a great story, and uh, <clears throat> let's hope that that uh, you know this actually moves him. If he's not a man of faith, that, that moves him to yes. know that 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 our Lord was also involved in this. You know, the angels and and you know, I, you know, give credit where credit's due. But you know, there's there's other underlying factors too that that, that helped him. You know, he was given that fortitude that, to run in there, and um, that's great. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what that's what angels do. They to light, to guard, it, to rule, and to guide. Mm, yeah. So his angel was guarding him, his guardian angel, and his gui- guiding him as well. All but right. uh, yeah, my hats off to him, Ruben. Hey, by the way, July's the month that where we honor the precious blood of Jesus. Just want to remind you, uh, don't uh, try to go to mass as often as possible. Receive as much of the body and blood of Jesus Christ as you can before you go to your exit interview, Ruben. Yeah. All right. Well, hope you enjoy the show. If you like what we what you hear, share it, share the show, and like it. And uh, we're upcoming is uh, Gary Mashuda, hands-on apologetics from the Midwest Command Center. And uh, keep the faith, pray your rosary, go to mass. God love you. We'll see you. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. You.